is from Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you, stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of all your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter God, once again, great to welcome you back. Um, if you can keep your Bibles open to Colossians 1 as we start this new series, it would be wonderful. Um, the, uh, the preaching isn't just me saying things, it's really me uh, going first in, uh, deep into the Bible and also getting hearing from God and also preaching from there. Um, but we want uh, we want, I'm sure, um, uh, for me to speak God's word and not my own wisdom. So please do keep your Bibles open and let's check it um, uh, together. Um, but let's make sure that we are um, both feeding uh, from Scripture together. But let me pray. Let me pray for us as we begin. Lord, we thank you so much um, that you speak, that you have spoken, that you uh, speak today. Lord, as we come to Colossians 1 and to these words, would you make these words come alive? Would you help us to see the glories of the gospel? Help us to see what we have, that we will not stray away from it. Speak to us and change our minds, uh, transform our hearts, that we may live lives that are worthy of the name Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I've recently heard of the term deconversion. It's a process from where people go from solid faith um, to losing their faith completely. How does it happen? Well, in many ways. But it's not a modern phenomenon. It's something that Jesus warned us about. Back when we went through Matthew's series, we saw it in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower. Some uh, seeds are uh, snatched away by Satan. Some are, 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 um, uh, some are sorry, uh, dried away uh, when, uh, with persecution and troubles. And some are choked away um, because of the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. This letter to Colossians highlights another problem, which is that some are... 
uh, are lured away by false teachers, by their deceptive teaching. This letter to Colossians um, tells us to keep going. But as we begin the series, I want to ask, do you know somebody, do you know people who have lost their faith? Do you know people who have lost their faith? And how do you know that you will make it all the way to the end? Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Christians to keep going, to see that you actually have this gospel that is worth holding on to for the rest of your life and to keep growing in their faith. I sometimes wonder uh, how many of us who are watching today, who are listening to this sermon, will profess their faith and love in Jesus in their deathbeds. How many of us will do that? How many of us will last? I pray all of us. But in order to do that, we'll need to listen. We'll need to see again the glories of the gospel. We'll need to see again the fruit that it bears and go to God in prayer. Gospel. We throw this word around often, um, the good news of Jesus. But what does it actually mean? Verse 5 talks about the true message of the gospel. But what is the true message of the gospel? At the heart of the gospel, though, in verse 6, is grace. Sorry, we're not quite there, there yet. Um, yeah. uh, uh, for Paul, understanding God's grace is synonymous with understanding the gospel of grace, the word grace. You see it in verse 6 in the same way. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. Since the day you have have heard it and truly understood God's grace. Gospel is understanding of God's grace. Gospel isn't, in essence, uh, advice, as Pastor Tim Keller often says. It's not uh, about how we, t- we should live our lives. Um, it's not about how we should live our lives. It's, it's, it's about news. It's a report of the news of what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's retelling of his coming and life and death on the cross and, and his resurrection on, beha- on our behalf um, that, that gives us future hope. Becoming a Christian is understanding and receiving what Jesus has done for us. And we don't deserve it. And we didn't earn it, but it's been given to us as a free gift. It's understanding of God's grace. When I graduated from college... I received a diploma with these words. University confers upon all the rights and privileges. Rights and privileges. I still don't really know exactly what my rights and privileges are of graduating. Uh, I can put a line on my CV without being feeling guilty about it. Uh, But the rights and privileges conferred upon us when we understood the gospel of grace is immense. It's amazing. It's so big. It's indescribable. We're given membership in God's kingdom. That's why Paul writes this letter to Colossians. He's never met, actually, this church before. The church members in Colossae, actually, it wasn't his church plant. A man named Epaphras, as you see in verse 7, went to Colossae, and he planted the church. But Paul writes to them because now these are fellow members of God's kingdom. He calls them in verse 2, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, the brotherhood of of, of people all over the world, wherever the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. 
And that's an unbelievable privilege wherever we are because before we became Christian, we were part of what Paul calls in verse 13, dominion of darkness, dominion of darkness. But Jesus, because he took our sins upon the cross, he bought us. He paid the price and he bought us and made us his own. That's redemption, verse 13. And he canceled our debt, verse 14. And we're forgiven. And now we are set apart as God's own and made heirs of the kingdom of God's son. Friends, our identity as Christians is the greatest identity that we have. It, it, it changes our past and present and the future, just as uh, when uh, Queen Elizabeth had Prince Charles. Just being her son has determined her pa- their, Prince Charles's past, present, and the future, just like that. We have been bought, we have been redeemed. Our present is now uh, changed. Our future is determined by the fact that we are now heirs of God's kingdom, bought by the price of Jesus' blood. Have you ever felt that, uh, have you ever felt that you needed something else to add to your faith? We'll see in, few, uh, in, in these coming weeks how the church in Colossae felt that they actually, what they had, what they received from Epaphras wasn't enough that they needed to add, add, add new rituals, new knowledge, um, uh, in order to grow richer. And Paul says in this letter, no. Everything that you have, when you understood the gospel of grace, you have been given everything that a Christian can have. Look at all the things that we have. If you ever feel the need to add to what the Bible actually teaches, what, what the gospel has given you, if you feel like, have you ever been tempted, right? Have you ever gone through times when you think, actually, I know all this stuff. I don't actually need, I need something else. I need to add to what I already know. Paul says, no, stick to this gospel of grace. Think about what you have. All that you have is actually all that Christ deserves. All that Christ has, which is everything. Friends, we have the gospel of grace. And that gives us everything that Christ deserves. We do not need to go anywhere else. We need to see again, though, the glories of the gospel again and again and again. Okay, you might say, how do I know? I mean, I feel so dry in my spiritual life. I feel like I'm not quite there. How do I know, actually, that I am a Christian? How can I be sure that I am on the right path? Well, some people worry uh, that they would lose their personality and, and, and quirks when they become Christian and become just like everybody else, all the other Christians. So, so they, they seem the same to them. Well, that's not true. But there are common characteristics that all Christians should have. When we're born again and become children of God, we have the same father, and now we have some family characteristics, things that grow. Gospel of grace bears these fruit. And Paul here highlights three. Faith, love, and hope. He says it in verse 4. We thank God for you because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope you uh, stored up for you in heaven. Faith 
in Jesus. When we understood the gospel of grace, the first fruit is that we come to trust in Jesus. How could we not? When we understand that Jesus has given us everything, right? When we, all the things I've mentioned above, the, the, the hope and, and, and the kingdom and, and sonship and all those things, when we were his enemies, God sent his son to die for us, then the test of our faith in Jesus is whether we actually do what he says when we don't fully understand, when we don't quite like it. It's letting Jesus dictate how to live our lives when it's hard for us, when we don't want to do it. This could be about anything. I mean, giving money, self-sacrificially, right? Giving self-sacrificially, why? Forgiving those who've wronged us, abstaining from premarital sex, being patient and joyful in the midst of suffering, injustice and evil. Faith in Christ, trusting in Him and His words is the first fruit of understanding the gospel of grace. Church, is your life marked by faith? Do you obey Him? Do you trust Him with your life? The second fruit is love. We've already seen Paul's love for the Colossians. Right? He hasn't seen these people, but he writes to them. He cares for them. He prays for them. Colossians too, though, are known for their love, not just for a few saints, but for all the saints. Paul writes in verse 4, for all the saints. Because it's easy to love people who like you, people who are likable, people who are funny, people who we like being, people who are kind and generous. That's how everybody in the world also loves, though. Colossians are known for their love for all people, all Christians, all of God's people. See, Christians, we're not just called to be holy. We are to be loving people, love towards all Christians, all God's people. Pastor Ken Hughes puts it this way. He put it so well. We have met people who claim to be good Christians, but unloving. They've had loveless goodness, an orthodoxy without charity, a questionable faith. They were the kind of people Mark Twain had in mind when he said he's a good man in the worst sort of way. A good man in the worst sort of way. If we have holiness without love, if we have righteousness without love, that's the kind of goodness in the worst sort of way. We are to be marked by love for one another. Church, do we love others? Others in the church? Are you known for it? In these days of pandemic, I try to keep in touch with um, as many people as I can. And again and again, I hear this, uh, the, the, the people saying this, I'm isolated. Without the Sunday church, I'm isolated. I don't keep in touch with other Christians. Nobody checks with me. Nobody checks whether I'm reading the Bible, whether I'm praying, whether I'm growing in the Lord. I'm sort of on my own. You know, that's a sign that we're not loving one another. That's a sign that we're not praying for one another. Church, can we do this this week? Can you start praying for other members of the church? Many of us, you might not be like, you, know, you might not feel like this right now, but many of us are struggling in our prayer life. Many of us are not uh, feeling lonely and isolated. Can you contact them? Can you text them? Can you make a Zoom appointment so that you can encourage them? That's not just love in words and speech only. 
as John encourages us, let's love in action and in deeds in what we do. We should be known for our love for one another. The third fruit of having become a Christian is the Christian hope. The thing that stands out about this passage, though, is that faith and love spring from hope. Hope stored up for you in heaven. Hope is the spring from which love and faith flow from. Hope is the fuel that keeps faith and love going. Why is that? If you take a moment to think about it, it makes perfect sense. Because Jesus asks us to do all sorts of things that doesn't make any sense if this life is the only life that we have. Love your enemies. Why? Why should I love my enemy? If this world is the only uh, world, why, why, I, I, need to de- I need to demand justice now, right? Forgive. Why? Don't marry a non-Christian. How can I not? If this life is the only life that I have, well, if nobody asks me out or if, if everybody rejects me, all the Christians reject, reject me, why shouldn't I go outside of Christian circles? I still want to be married before I die. Give self-sacrificially. Why? If this life is it, why should not I just hoard? Why should not I just be for myself and for my own comfort? You see, we need hope of the future. All the treasure that's stored up, up for us in heaven for us to keep obeying, keep trusting in Jesus, keep loving others. Church, how much do you hope Are you satisfied? Are you living for this world and this world only? Are you looking forward to the hope that's stored up for us in heaven? Of course, growth won't come overnight. After all, Paul's using an agricultural metaphor, uh, fruit bearing, right? This takes uh, time. Growth often is slow. It's even imperceptible at times, But in due time, Christians will bear fruit. Fruit of faith, love, and hope. Are you growing? It's a basic question. Are you growing? Are you marked by these three? Are you a genuine Christian? Well, we must be sure of the source of our growth. It's not what we do. It's actually our dependence on God. Which is why Paul ends this section, this beginning section, with a prayer. He goes to God and he says, I am praying for you for these things. And we must also pray for one another. Church, how often did you pray this past week? Uh, If you prayed, what did you pray for? We often pray for those who are sick, uh, for our children's future, for our guidance. These are good things to pray for, and we should pray for all these things. But the amazing thing, I mean, and the amazing thing is that God cares for all these things. But take a look at why Paul went to his knees every day, what he prayed for in this next section in verses 9 and on. He prays to fill them, for God to fill them with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, for them to bear fruit in every good work, to grow in the knowledge of God, to be strengthened with all powers so that they may, be in, they may endure and be patient, to give joyful thanks. 
He prays for growth and for maturity and for endurance. And the goal is at the right in the middle in verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. That you may be worthy of the name Christian. That you may be worthy of the grace that you have received. In April um, this year, I'll have, married, um, I'll have been married um, uh, to Mary uh, for six years. Six years. And I'm thankful to say that I love Mary um, now more than I did in my first year. Hey, the wedding day wasn't the highlight of my marriage. It, it shouldn't be. That was just the beginning of my life together with Mary. That was just the beginning of getting to know her and her deeper and deeper. Friends, the day of our salvation, the first year of us being Christian, that shouldn't be the highlight of our life as as, as Christians. That should just be the beginning of our life with Christ and getting to know His goodness and growing deeper and deeper in Him. We can grow deeper in Jesus because God's goodness is inexhaustible. He is unbelievably good. That's why, why Paul's writing. Because Paul says, don't go somewhere else. Go to Jesus. Go to this God and come to know Him deeper. That's what God, Paul wants and that's what God wants. That's why he's writing this letter and that's why he's praying. Once again, let's go back. Why, what is he praying for? Verse 9. For their life to be filled with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul's not asking for some new knowledge. Rather, wisdom and understanding to know what to do with the knowledge. You know, we know that we ought to love one another. But it requires Spirit's wisdom to know how to love one another in these days of pandemic. It's very different, right? Or how to love one another in the church where we're often divided with along political lines, blue and yellow. How do you love people like this? It requires wisdom. It requires uh, God's understanding, the Spirit's understanding. So he's praying for that. He also prays for us to bear fruit. Uh, every, every good work at home, at workplace, with friends, with family, in every situation, at church, in every situation, he's praying for us to do good, to bear the fruit of good works. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. We are saved so that we may do good things to one another and, and for the society, for God's glory. And he prays for them to grow in the knowledge of God. Once again, we will see in the coming weeks how in Colossae there were false teachers who were saying, actually, you need to know new things, new techniques. Maybe if you add this practice, if you add this knowledge, then you will grow deeper in relationship with God. And Paul says, no, no you grow in the knowledge of God that you have. Just as I knew Mary the first day that I met her and I married her, but I've come to know her deeper. Our Christian lives should grow richer and richer as we come to know our God deeper and deeper, as we know the Scripture more and more. His goodness is inexhaustible. And finally, in verse 11, he prays for them to be strengthened with power according to his glorious might. What do you think Paul would ask? Don't look at verse 11 yet. What do you think Paul would ask? finish that sentence? With this power of his glorious might, what do you think he would ask for? For justice to come down, for God to do great miracles, to end poverty or something like that. 
Now, Paul asks here for them to endure, for them to continue, for them to finish running the race uh, joyfully and being patient. He's praying for them to make it all the way to the end. You see, this is not an easy thing to keep going in our Christian faith. The devil is at work. The evils of this world is at work. Sinfulness of our flesh is at work. It requires God's power for us to keep going and keep growing in Him. To be patient in the day, until the day of our Lord. As we saw last week though, this doesn't mean that we have to just grin and bear it. We can be joyful. We can give joyful thanks as we remember, as we pray, as we continue to worship, all these other things. You probably have heard that Christian life is like uh, riding a bicycle. Unless you're keeping uh, going forward, unless you keep going forward or uh, deeper, you will fall. Church, I want you to follow Jesus all the way until the day that you die. I want me to do that. I want, I, I want, I want to continue to love and serve Jesus until the day that I die. And I want all of us to say with Paul, as he says in 2 Timothy, uh, that at the end of our days, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But in order to do this, we will need to keep going back and see what we have already been given, the glories of the gospel of Jesus. And we need to grow deeper and deeper in knowledge and love of our God, but we'll only do that if we pray, if we remain dependent on one another. I want to do this. Will you pray for me this week? Will you pray this prayer for me? Will you pray this prayer for the members of the church? I'll be doing that for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel that we've received Lord, we thank you that it changes our, our past. Our sins are wiped clean. It changes our present. You are with us and it changes our future, the hope of glory that we receive. Lord, we pray that we will see the glories of the gospel and never veer away from it. And Lord, we pray that we will not be content in just being saved. Lord, would you grow our church in maturity, in knowledge, in understanding of who you are. Would you help us to grow in our relationship with you deeper and deeper, not just me, not just people, who are, like every Christian and every member of Shatin Church. And Lord, we pray that we will grow in our faith, in our love, in our hope for you. And Lord, we pray that this week and the two weeks to come, we'll be a church that prays, that we'll be a church that depends on you, in prayer. And as we come to you in prayer, may you bear fruit. May you help us to endure and be patient until the day of your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.